Hello, my name is Mark Atherley, and I'm the co-founder of Ansio.ai, the augmented inspiration company. You can find us at www.ansio.ai. That's A-N-C-I-E-O dot A-I. And hello, I'm James Richardson, also co-founder, and together we've built Ansio.ai to be a research company with a difference. At Ansio.ai, we combine the brilliance of the human mind with the latest research and learning technologies to provide insight and guided inspiration to our clients, readers, and listeners. We have created this podcast to spread the word about this world of accelerated transformation and to bring conversations with open thinkers to you via your device or wherever you access your podcasts. We will be bringing great conversations to you along with our guests. And we hope you enjoy our work. If you do, spread the word, click like, subscribe to our podcast, or get in touch through our email, info at ansio.ai. So, James, when we look at our company that we've set up, what is your vision for what we will be doing and where we will add value? So I see um, the vision really in, in different phases in a way, but there's, there's, there's certainly um, an initial organic a phase whereby we um, need to prove ourselves and, and build a reputation within uh, the research environment um, in order to help investors better understand the and contextualize um, the sectors that they are looking to invest in. Um, so within that, we're going to be developing uh, the use of AI and machine learning models in order to be able to make sense of the huge amounts of data that, that is out there. Because data, although data is our friend, um, it's also becoming limitless and very hard to understand and to draw meaning from. So the initial offering that we will have is being able to very quickly and efficiently get through the the sources of data, um, understanding where to look and what to find, and then also being able to contextualize it. Uh, so if we took, for example, uh, domains such as mobility in the third dimension, it's already taking on so many different forms from uh, urban air mobility, regional air mobility, advanced air mobility, and lots and lots of different uh, business models that, that are coming out of that, but it draws on different sectors from energy um, and technology, artificial intelligence, but also more societal uh, factors uh, to do with public perception and acceptance and trust. And it's being able to understand what it is that the client or the investor needs to know and be able to find that contextualize it and most importantly turn data into meaningful information so that they can understand what it is they are potentially investing in. I had a really interesting evening last night talking to some friends and I showed one of them and it was quite an interesting reaction. I showed one of them the video of uh, Manad.aero, the Irish startup company that's doing home deliveries via drone. And what I found staggering, but perhaps I suppose almost understandable, was that at 
the reaction to the video of the drone dropping the takeaway into the back of a garden uh, via the winching system and also the nice old Irish lady who was receiving her medicines via the drone within the test area. The friends uh, that I was with are aerospace people, but it was actually, it was the partner of one of the friends and she didn't believe that Mana was real. She said it was a spoof and there was literally nothing I could say to try and explain to her that the drone company and the startup company that it was real and it was happening which i found st- i found staggering frankly that this stuff is going on and people still don't believe that it's happening anyway i know you have a question yeah. for me yeah. so uh, we can talk about conspiracy beliefs that maybe at a later date yeah absolutely although manna um it's it is a company that uh, i've been following particularly since the start of the the first lockdown certainly the first lockdown in the uk uh, during the um, the pandemic, and something like the pandemic has really brought the capabilities of companies like Manor to the forefront, because obviously uh, drones have been around for a while, and and there have been some uh, very good use cases in Africa uh, where the uh, they've been used for delivering medicines. But obviously, in you know the UK and Ireland, and um, you know places like that, because of the infrastructure and all of the different sort of barriers and regulations towards getting something like this operational it it has met so much more resistance but you know it is incredible what mana have been doing and i believe they're actually working with tesco's now uh within um their locality to to actually offer deliveries um and you can order coffees i believe and um the fact that this isn't getting out at all to to sort of normal people that aren't necessarily watching the space is is quite interesting because there are so many potential uses. I felt like this. a bit of an idiot um, at one point yeah. because um, the lady in question asked me, "How does um, how are the bags released from the winches?" And I suffered from massive dilution of argument because I couldn't think at the time what it was. Uh, probably because it was later on in the day and my brain had started to switch down. Presumably, it's some form of automatic switch off i'm gonna have to look it up i'm gonna have to work it out but there was such a i had that dreadful corpsing moment when somebody asks you a question you don't have the immediate answer you sort of stumble over the answer and then you think to yourself oh, i'm an idiot because they look at you and think look you clearly don't know anything about what you're talking about um so I, yet again it means more research but that's always a good thing. No, no, come on. You have a question for me. What is it? So, yes, I've been thinking an awful lot about automation recently, and uh, we will come on to some of the slightly more academic side of it. Uh, but with a lot going on in the news recently about Tesla uh, and driverless cars, it got me thinking about the future of driving. And you've got two uh, young girls. Obviously, they're a little way away from having to worry about driving, and it made me think, actually, do you think that your children will ever need to learn to drive? That is a very interesting question because it frames it in a time that is realistic and, you know, down your own personal timeline. So we're talking about six to seven years away. And I think they will learn because I think it will still be a life skill but I don't think that they will necessarily have to learn. And that probably sounds like a cop-out. It's not meant to be. What what I mean by it is I personally think that the technology will be there. And, I mean, we are, to my mind, we're, we're very close to full autonomy 
from a capability standpoint. Where I think we're still going to struggle is in AI training and ethics. And I know, and I've been having conversations with people recently, um, particularly people that are moving from industries that are not moving as fast as technology whereby some of the transferable skills that they've learned from other industries will be very useful in the next information technology growth period. And an AI trainer and an ethics trainer is something that we're going to see. So to answer your question, I think the cars will be capable uh, and the technology will be capable. I think Tesla during their AI day were very convincing with where they were going. So where I think the obstacles lie are within the ethical training of AI and autonomous system. By that, I mean you will have to teach the system, by that I mean the vehicle and the software and the algorithm, to make a decision about effectively collateral damage to an accident. So are you going to hit a vehicle? Are you going to hit a passerby? Are you going to hit an animal, a wall, infrastructure, et cetera, et cetera. They'll have to be almost like a set of defining principles that are based on collateral damage. And I think that's where some of the obstacles are going to lie. The technology will be there. You'll just have to teach the system what is the least damaging decision, because that's what we're talking about. We're talking about making a decision that causes the least damage. First, do no harm, almost like a doctor. Absolutely. And there's actually, I mean, there's a huge amount of research which is going on, obviously, in this area at the moment. And there's a fascinating uh, study that was done uh, called the Moral Machine Experiment, uh, which was from the uh, University of Exeter. And um, and in that, you can actually find it online still. So the, the, the actual experiment has closed, uh, but but it's still available online for you to sort of explore. And within that, you, you face lots of different scenarios as a hypothetical driver and you have to make these decisions Uh, and it's really 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 scary uh, when you start breaking down the thought process behind which lives almost do you value more Uh, what has more worth if you are having to make a decision to hit something and and as you say the ethics behind this and also a lot of the legal implications which are going to come into it there's a huge amount of work that needs to be done in that and i think um you know, something which is really exciting about running this podcast series is we're going to be able to dive into uh, lots of this, relating it across other industries, you know, and considering how AI is going to uh, sort of fit in with our lives and how we will almost co-inhabit this space with more advances in technologies and artificial intelligence. I thought I thought it was very but interesting just, in uh, some of the statements that Elon Musk made around his AI day and the human bot or the humanoid bot. And the thing that leapt across to me, you know, I haven't gone through it in sufficient detail yet, was that his point was that you'd be able to outrun it and overpower it. And that's definitely a sort of sop to society's paranoia about AI, uh, the Terminator, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and the so-called melty man that i heard about last night absolutely and one when i really got interested in in reading about ai i um one of the the books that i i read which i absolutely loved was called our final invention by james barrett and um a lot of this is about sort of early experiments which have happened 
such as the Turing test, um, uh, the imitation game, and things like the the AI box experiment. And and within these, essentially, the the experiments that are being set up, you're trying to decide whether or not a an AI agent or computer could convincingly argue the case that they were a human so that you wouldn't be able to judge, a judge wouldn't be able to tell whether it was a human or a machine which was sort of answering you. And in the case of the AI experiment, you have um, an AI trying to convince a gatekeeper human to let it out of the box it's captured in. And over the last few days, I've been reading this book, and I'm reading it so slowly because it, it's so thought-provoking. You, you can pause on every other page, and I really recommend um, you, you read it. But what it did is it made me go back to one of my favorite films, which is Ex Machina. And again, I'm not sure whether you've heard of that, but you you really need, if, if you're interested in, in this side of AI, you really need to watch it. And without ruining it, it, it is working around this AI in a box scenario. And and I'll leave it at that because if I talk any more about it, I'm going to give the whole thing away. Uh, but anyone that's interested in a starting point book, which discusses a lot of these issues, very much around the fact that AI superintelligence or um, artificial general intelligence is not here yet, but it will come. And when it comes, it will be a threat if it isn't programmed right. So if we don't create friendly AI, then we will be in trouble. Um, and even if we do create friendly AI, we need to be careful that the AI understands that it needs to co-inhabit with us because you don't have to be unfriendly if you want to achieve your own goals um, to step in other sort of species way in order for you to achieve that goal, if that makes sense. Okay, Mark, so fundamental to our business is obviously uh, getting into the data side of things. And you're going to hopefully talk us through now some of the processes that we've got through using open AI and uh, artificial intelligence. So, James, we're at ansio.ai, and the AI means two things. First of all, obviously, we're using artificial intelligence tools and machine learning to allow us to derive as much value and extract as much data and meaningful inspiration from the data that is available within our area of competence. So what what does that mean? Well, look, you can have a situation whereby there are almost 5,500 academic papers published globally per day, and sometimes over a million academic articles being published within a year. And then you have all the commercial research which is available if you if anybody has ever enabled Google alerts and then put in three or four subjects that they're particularly interested in, they discover that their inbox is filled up within a day. You know, you can end up with sort of 500, 600 uh, emails sitting there. And it's very difficult to go in and look at the data and find find 
the answers for what you know the questions that everybody's asking at this stage of development so we have during our startup phase we have used proprietary machine learning tools most of which are cloud-based obviously with with remote working but it became apparent to us over a period of time that some of those tools weren't optimized to the degree that we wanted them to be now we are fortunate at ansio.ai that we have access to uh, the OpenAI codex, the Playground, and the GPT-3 model in general. And that is allowing us to develop our own personalized approach to how we're going to capture data going forward so that we can answer the questions that our clients are getting us to inquire about. And that's a really powerful tool. But it's not. It's only one piece of the puzzle. So, whilst you, ha- if you like, if you have a sort of target-seeking machine, what it will give you, it will give you a raw data approach to it. It won't give you the full insight, and that's why our company name is also the AI also stands for augmented inspiration, which sounds like a bit of a mouthful. But what we're actually saying is, we're using the available tools, and those tools are developing daily at a rate that frankly astonishes me if you look at anybody wants to go and google gpt4 and have a look at the capabilities there where where they eventually we will have a model that is 500 times more powerful than gpt3 you are approaching the neural network size of a human brain and that's key to what we're talking about augmented inspiration is using the human brain, human experience, human intuition, and using it with the targeted processes that machine learning and AI gives you. So the AI gives you, it helps separate the data down to give you a targeted product. And we can then, with our networks of, frankly, experts on any particular subject, to allow us to build meaningful answers to the questions that are out there if that makes sense. Absolutely. And it's uh, very thought-provoking, isn't it, where you, you're saying that we have our own human experience and you know empirical research, uh, as well as sort of understanding and contextualization of data. Uh, but also we, we understand that there is such a huge amount of data that, you know, through time, and um, you know the ability to sift through it all. We we almost need to sort of augment, um, you know, the capabilities, not so much for cognitive capabilities of our brains, but just the 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 power of of search through all the data, uh, in order to be able to get them to work together for the actual augmented inspiration to be able to sort of take effect. Because I think that, that there is no question now that, you know, research is fundamentally different. You know, the days of um, of having a, a research topic going down to the library, um, you know, frustrations because the book isn't in and it's on a long loan. So, you know, you go onto a waiting list, um, going through old newspaper clippings, you know, and speaking to people, hoping that they have that, you know, that, piece of of knowledge or that little kernel of 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 information or data that you need you know those days are just gone you know there is no end to to the data that is out there um but data means nothing if you don't know what to do with it which is where you have this powerful interaction of the mind 
and the you know the the mindset as well that we bring to that but also having the tools to be able to arm ourselves with the with the necessary data that is out there yeah, i agree and um you just only need to look at some of the statistics of global data and how how big it is you know any listener should just go away and just google it and i'm not going to lead that point because frankly it's one of those things where where the situation is changing on a daily basis what we can see however is that there are there are particular gateways in the development of 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 global data where at particular points that the growth of data and the acceleration of that growth has built up and up over time so with with the introduction of of social media and the democratization of, of of publishing which comes from that so if you think of all of the big platforms as a way of allowing individuals around the world to publish their thoughts and to place their data onto the global web you're looking at transient moment momentary thoughts via twitter you're looking at photography images uh, sounds uh, movies via facebook and instagram and tiktok and then you're looking at just the basis of which the, the World Wide Web was, was, was actually built in the first place, which is effectively to transfer data from one side or the other and publish papers. I mean, it, you know, the U.S. Defense Department was using it uh, early on to allow secure communications and to allow uh, paperwork and uh, communications to, get, to go from one secure area to another. That still continues, and that happens within the financial world. It happens within the commercial world. It happens within our private lives. Where nowadays, when you're doing, even when you're buying a house, all these things are done online. You know, you don't go into an office. You don't walk into a solicitor's office nowadays to to buy a house. You can do it with a solicitor who's based in a completely different part of the country, and the whole thing has been pre-armed to be able to be done online. That builds data. That's only going to continue now with machine learning and AI, whereby you can have a process through, say, an, an organization like OpenAI, where you can write with the assistance of a machine, you can write at a scale and at a speed which is unheard of before. You can get code to write code via the OpenAI codex. And that democratizes production. You know, if you go back to some of the greatest nexuses in uh, human history, the Russian Revolution, you know, and Marx talking about the seizing of the methods of, of, of manufacturing and production. Now we're at the point within our existence whereby we're democratizing research, we're democratizing production, and that has good and bad segments to it. So what are fake stories at there? You know, when you when you delve down and you look at what, are, what what fake news, fake stories, conspiracy theories, what are they? Well, they are the darker side of the democratization of publishing. Once upon a time, the only global and national and local methods of producing news was via your local paper, the national paper, and then those very few international news organizations and cnn was one of the very first from a television perspective now you have a situation whereby a blogger in china or in india or in the united states has global reach instantly and that's all put into the into the data lake of which 
we all effectively live within. And machine learning and AI is going to be a fundamental part of seeking the quality, seeking the truth. So at Ansio, we are actually talking to a degree about becoming truth seekers. And that, for me, is a very meaningful and worthy application of our time and effort.